We are now being recorded. This is part two of uh, the life and times of Rabbi Socher Shlomo Teichtal. Again, who was born in 1885 and was killed al Kiddush Hashem in 1945. Last week we spent a lot of time giving us his background, his Hasidic view, and that view that he, that the Hungarian Hasidim uh, found the Minchas Elazar and other Hasidic Jews who felt are very anti-Zionist at the time because of who the Zionists were. And uh, we brought you right to that point, and we ended off last week with a very strong statement he made in the early 1930s against Zionism. Okay, today is the shift day. Okay, we all spent a lot of time saying he was a real scholar, a real scholar, not just any old rabbi, and a real scholar who was very anti-Zionist at the time, which was a uh, hundred years ago. Now we begin to understand what is the purpose of the Sefer that he wrote. So let us continue. This is exactly where we're up to. As he fled, this is during the uh, early 40s, it hid and witnessed unprecedented persecution. Rav Taifkal re-examined his worldview. He now saw the nationalistic movement and a call to return to the land of Israel as revelations of divine providence. He maintained a loyalty and devotion to his teachers and rebbies, and throughout the Sefer tries to reconcile his new views with theirs, arguing they would agree with him given all what was going on. He wrote the Sefer virtually from memory. Remember, he wrote it in an attic with no svarim with the hope it would awaken those around him and help save them from the blindness and denial that once plagued him. Whenever he spoke and whenever he went in Hungary in the early 40s, he preached this message and offered a strong call for Aliyah and rebuilding of the land. And that is the name of the Sefer he wrote, Eim Habonim Simecha. Okay. So he's really saying that the fact that Jews are moving to Israel is a manifestation of Hashkacha Pratis. Now, also, please to remember, as we said, I don't remember if I said it exactly last week, but as opposed to Rav Salavechik, that Rav Salavechik, he came to this understanding too, but he totally left the Aguda and became Mizrahi. Rav, Rav, uh, Rav Salavechik. This is not exactly the story with Rav Teichtal. Okay, so let's uh, just read a little bit from the Sefer, Eim Habanim Semecha, that he writes, I must confess the truth and declare my sin. I too despise the rebuilding of the land because I heard unqualified statements made by many Orthodox Jews which became firmly implanted in my heart. I did not concern myself with this matter at all because I was preoccupied with learning, teaching, and writing volumes on the Talmud and its commentaries, as well as responses to questions regarding the word of Hashem. I only delved into this halacha of Eretz Yisrael after we suffered afflictions in this bitter exile. Hashem enlightened me. And I saw that I and all those who opposed this movement were mistaken. I meant and say 
that which I previously told you was mistaken. Just like Rava and other Talmudic sages did in their time. When rabbis admit their mistakes, they are praiseworthy. Thank God I have no qualms about publicly expressing the truth that is in my heart. I'm not afraid of any man, for I studied under great and righteous Gedolim and was raised among the genuinely holy, wise men of the generation. Thank God I also studied Torah early on and was married young. At the age of 19, I was united with the daughter of the foremost Torah scholar of the generation. Since then, Torah has never ceased from my table. I will not revoke my Torah opinion because of any Godel or Rebbe uh, or our generation, unless he debates the issues with me in the manner of Torah dialogue, using proofs from the words of Chazal. I will then concede to his words if they are correct, but not if they are unfounded. What he's basically saying here is, I'm a real Talmud Chacham. And he's not bragging. He's saying, I'm a really first-rate Talmud Chacham. And I admit I made a mistake. Now, if anybody has problems with that, let's discuss this subject like any other Talmudic subject that we would discuss. And let's and you'll see that the conclusion I came to is a correct conclusion. Now, there's like all kinds of ideas called pressure. And pressure sometimes changes your views for pragmatics, practicalities, whatever. But he is holding very strong to this. He says, this, I really feel, is the Torah opinion. And any of my rabbeim, if they'd be around today, now a lot of them died by this time, just either by natural causes, whatever, they just died. They said they would agree to me. So that brings us to, here's the real question. Was Rav Teichtal a religious Zionist? Okay, this is the question. This is the great debate. We will take a look at his son's introduction. Was he more like Rav Cook or the Ger Rebbe or neither? Okay, that becomes the question we have to analyze. Okay? What, why, is this, why is this important? Is that because of what to define uh, put him in a pigeon? Well, we will see because we'll see who embraced him and who did not embrace him. And we have to understand why that is so. Okay? So let's uh, take a little, uh, just taking a snippet here or there from the Aim Habanim Semecha. Then we're going to show you certain sources that deal with the reactions. And the question now is, who has embraced his work? Who has not embraced his work? And therefore, if, and you know, what's my recommendation? Should you read his Sefer? It's in, it's in English now. You can read the English translation. And if you really are... Uh, Want to save money? There is, if you look hard, you can find an online version of the English translation. You just can't read it on Shabbos, but uh, so you might want to look into it. And it's, you know, something I'm debating if we want to learn it together or not. But you need to know what its place is. So let's just look at one part from Aim Habanim Samecha, okay? And we're gonna do, we're gonna look at different selections of different people who quote him and who claims he's part of their group or not, so to speak. So the reason is, is this something um, that we should take what he says seriously? Is it a book that's worth your, a safer, worth your reading? 
in terms of developing your hashkafa towards Eretz Yisrael, especially now. That's why I felt it's a very good follow-up to Rav Cook's uh, the uh, the idea of the light of war, of the war, and the light is coming in. So this is from the Sefer Emelismecha. After I've explained with God's help that the redemption for which we so fervently yearn will occur gradually, step by step, we can understand a comment found in the drushes of the Chassam Sofer. He infers from the Rambam that Israel will gather together in Eretz Yisrael before the advent of Mashiach, even without the base, when the base of Migash is not yet built, rebuilt. And here was one big issue. But Haredim at the time said, it's not our problem. When Mashiach comes, it'll come. They'll invite us and we'll come. It was basically, Mashiach's going to come. Elio's going to come. Mashiach's going to come. And then we'll gather in Eretz Yisrael. And he brings proofs, that I don't want to get into all the proofs here, but from various medrashim, that no, the Jews are going to gather before the Mashiach, even before the Beis HaMegdash is built. So he brings all kinds of sources. Where was the Chasm Sofer? Uh, 1800s. And again, it says, Now I already mentioned that our sages in the Zohar, Midrash, Yerushalmi, assert the redemption will progress slowly, not all at once. Therefore, the ingathering of the Jews to Eretz Yisrael must precede the true redemption. First, they must leave the state of absolute evil, which is dispersion and exile, and proceed to the middle level of evil, which when the people of Israel are in their land, but the temple is in ruins. After this, peace will prevail amongst the Jews, and we hope for the future, as the Chassam Sofer writes, by virtue of this peace, the sons will return to their borders. Now, he's saying this in 1942. And that seems to be a little prophetic because the worst evil is when we're in exile. Right? But then he says, we start getting an ingathering, so that's the middle step of evil. And that's exactly what we had or we're in, or getting out of, whatever you want to say, is it's like, my, it's it's a middle step of evil, but then there'll be peace. And this is what we have, we're dominating for. If we just make some kind of peace, then I think we'll have everything in place. Okay, now look, one other parts. Now, even though all of Israel will not return right away, it seems to me that the land will become a universal center for the entire Jewish nation by the very fact that there will be an assembly of Jews in Jerusalem and Eretz Yisrael. In other words, when you were in the early 1900s, whoever talked about Eretz Yisrael? There's nothing to talk about. There's nobody there. It wasn't real. You davened. Okay, we should return to Yisrael. A dream. All right? Okay, the late 1800s, middle 800s, you know, the Vilna Gaon sent some of his Hasim to go to Israel, but it wasn't really a big thing on people's minds. When did it come? Now, who doesn't talk about Israel? Most likely, when Shabbos is over for all of us, and we'll eventually have to get back to the world of technology to start the new week, most likely the first thing you're going to look up is what happened in Israel. Right? You're not going to look first of any business aspects and letters. The first thing you go to either Arun Sheva or you go to Matzav. Yeah, I can't look anymore. 
A rever? Okay, you can't, but most people do. <laughs> and you're going to look. What happened? Because you're interested in what's going on in Eretz Yisrael. You're thinking Eretz Yisrael, which is an amazing thing. And then he adds, even those who remain in the diaspora will keep their eyes and hearts on the land. They'll be bound and connected with all their souls to the universal center which we established in Eretz Yisrael. It will unite them even in the diaspora and when they will not be considered dispersed at all. Today, on the other hand, 1942, the people of Israel are like lost and scattered sheep amongst the nation. No Jew associates with his fellow Jew. Wherever they live, they are like dangling limbs without any connection to the individual and certainly not to the community as a whole. This is true and utter dispersion. We have all been abandoned like fish of the sea. In these recent difficult years, despots subjugate us and do with us as they please. They degrade and murder us without limit and without any liability for their actions. These scoundrels have no one to answer to for their deeds. You're saying it's a common focus. Right. However, if we establish a universal central inheritance Israel, with God's help, our pride and glory will rise among the nation, will be considered a dignified and important nation. Then like even the individual who remains in exile will not be forsaken. Because anyone who wants to cause him harm will now will know that there is someone who will demand a reckoning of his actions. So that is one thing that he writes over here. Now here is a foreword to one of the editions by his son, who we talked about last week, Reb Chaim Menachem Teichdal. It's a long foreword, so we're going to just go to a key part. I mean, it's all Kedai to read, but got to be a little selective over here. I'm going to start from 25. Okay, well, maybe just a little bit before that. He talks about how he loved Eretz Yisrael, all these things. Because remember, this is the son that was there when his father got murdered on the train because he was trying to help another Jew. This is the son who made it to Eretz Yisrael and uh, was, uh, they found the writings and had a lot to do with reprinting the writings. So my revered revered father's love for the land, his fervent desire to expand its settlement with Torah Jews and his joy at its building were exhibited publicly at every possible opportunity. Alas, his fire words in praise of our holy land were distorted more than once. Various groups represented his views intentionally for various reasons, thus concerned for the honor of this pure and righteous man, the family was hesitant to issue this work for some time. We'll see. Indeed, the author himself predicted this very eventuality. He expresses in fears in one of his last letters to me. Quote, To my great dismay, there are some who did not understand my intent in writing Eim Habonim Samecha. God is my witness that when I write about our brother in resettling Eretz Yisrael, tears flow from my eyes uncontrollably because of God's people who suffer indescribable miseries. In the Holocaust. I see in the land of Israel a ray of light, an anchor of salvation. I know there will be those who will attribute to me words which I never said and never thought. Mean to say, you're a, you're a Zionist. And you what are you hanging around the secular Zionists for? Still he, Hashem, who knows all secrets, can testify how fervently I prayed that my words not constitute the stumbling block. And I'm certain that the merit of our holy land will stand by all those who sincerely love her, so that ultimately no one will be turned away. 
I found support in the words of our sages quoted often by the brilliant and holy author, the Mimchas Elazar, which was his rabbi, the Munkacha rabbi. Quote, Israel be redeemed only through tshuva. And the Torah has already promised that Israel will repent at the end of their exile and immediately be redeemed. On the basis of this guarantee, I authored Eim Habanim Sameichel. And so that was the quote of his father. Now the son continues. And so at this time, I find myself obligated to refute the views which were incorrectly attributed to the author by people who took his words out of context. It is my duty to reestablish the truth that the goal of this work is to enhance the glory of heaven and increase the settlement of Israel throughout the Aliyah masses of Torah observant Jews. The other quotes the words of the Rebbe of Gur, the Ger Rebbe, and he's saying his father quoted the Ger Rebbe. The more Orthodox Jews that ascend there in Israel, the greater their influence will be in fashioning the image of the land according to Torah tradition. Again, his quotes from the 1930s and in preserving the holiness of the land. Today, we see concrete evidence of this in the increased numbers of Orthodox Jews in the land, bringing enhanced awareness of the Torah's demands. How much more so would this be true if they constitute a majority in the land? If a little bit of light can chase away much darkness, surely a great deal of light can eliminate the darkness entirely. Indeed, we witness the proliferation of yeshivos in every part of the country, and the light of Torah is permeating even the thick darkness that precedes the advent of Mashiach. Increasingly, winds of purity are reaching our lost brethren. They're returning to their roots and casting away all of the false ideologies whose emptiness has become apparent. It's not hard to imagine how much better this situation would be if the Torah to portion of the population were greater and the centers of Torah learning filled every corner of the Holy Land. Clearly, the great light thus cast would bring all the people back and sins, not sinners, would cease to exist. Famous Gmarim Brachas, you don't pray for the sinners to die, but you pray for the sins to stop. The author speaks in praise of the builders of the land. Although they may have left the Torah, it's undoubtedly to their credit that they are privileged to settle and build the land. My saintly father even has answers for those who question why the Almighty saw fit to allow the initiative for the rebuilding to come specifically from such people. He explains that no human being can fathom the searchings of God for the thoughts of he who is perfect in knowledge are far beyond their thoughts. In his view, not only are the God-fearing Jews forbidden to refrain from building the land based on such objections, but they have a sacred obligation to combine their strengths and contribute to this holy endeavor. Then when the wayward builders see that the religious Jews want to cooperate with them, in turn will draw closer to them and improve their ways. After all, they too are descendants of Avram Yitzchak in Yah. Should be clear to all that this author was not carrying the banner of a movement which announced Eretz Yisrael without Torah. That's what they were mislabeling Rav Taichta. Any organization whose goal was to establish Israel as a nation, its own land like other nations, would have nothing in common with him. This was the very antithesis of my beloved father's goal. There's a great danger in reading this work superficially seeking a modern-day ideology with which to associate its message. To reduce the sacred Torah principles laid forth on these pages to some ism is a desecration of blasphemy. 
the, th- the Torah precedes, transcends, and outlasts any man-made system of thought. In the Torah and in all the holy books which explain it, love for the land of Israel is a supreme value. Building and setting them are missus of paramount importance. At this point in history, the author perceived a combination of factors making this mitzvah both more urgent and more available. He thus felt himself compelled to encourage the people of Israel to shoulder this precious obligation to settle and build the land on a firm Torah base. Ideas fashioned by man are not addressed in this work at all. Indeed, there could be no greater distortion of its intent than to conclude that this book is a declaration of support for a man-made ideology. Beyond the straightforward restatement of Torah ideas, there is merely transcendent love, love for the land of Israel, the people of Israel, the Torah, and the Almighty. This love is displayed on all levels of my father's writing. At every opportunity, he addresses himself to the builders of the land in an ardent plea to establish their efforts on a solid Torah base. He warns that without Torah, which is our only claim to the land, the settlement of Israel can have no future. Whereas the Torah true approach of building a land is a guarantee for success, a nationalist stripped of Torah is a path to perdition, God forbid. Thus, while beseeching Torah Jews to join hands with the builders, he implores these very builders to subjugate themselves to Torah authority. Okay, so that is, is writing. So they were not sure. Should they reprint it again? People are taking him off in the right. Because remember, you have to be very careful that the uh, secular Zionists are always looking for a Chazer Fiesel <laughs> to hang their flag on. Chazerfik means pig's feet. Uh, it's an expression. Uh, yeah. The pig sticks yeah. its foot out to say, look, I'm kosher. Right. So often secular organizations want to have a religious person there. So I say, oh, Rabbi so-and-so's there. It must be a good organization. But they're really not. So that's what the son is worried about. Because they're all saying, oh, he's a modern-day Mizrahist. That even the real Haredi totally regret what they did. And they believe in secular Zionism. This is where the mistake happened. And this is, again, unfortunately, as we'll see in a minute, why the Haredi world, in general, has not promoted this safer. Even not, to this day. So, so yes. But is, it, is, it, is, it really, is it really political because they just don't want to make any ties, any kind of things because of the pollution of the, of the secular We'll world. have to ask them about that. We are not understand we, why. Well, well, let's just continue. There's a few more interesting things we're putting down here, so let's just hang on. So now let's look at a brief uh, tshuva from Rav Shlomo Aviner, who is what we'll call from the very from Zionist, religious Zionist, the very hush of a Rav in Eretz Yisrael, Paisek in Eretz Yisrael, has many, many svarim. So they asked him a shayla. Aren't the Haredim correct that Am Yisrael will first perform tshuva and only then return to Zion and purity? Is this what Haredim fact? So he says, this was in fact one of the possibilities, but as it happened, Am Yisrael did not repent in the, the exile, but will do so here. Okay, and then he, look what he puts in the brackets. This Rav Aviner. In the newly recent edition of the book, Ema Benim Smecha, is written in the introduction that during the Tanoim ceremony held for the engagement between the granddaughter of Harav Yisachar Shlomo Taichdal, 
Okay, Rav Teichel, who died in the Holocaust, his son who wrote the article, and now the granddaughter. Okay, with me? It's a great granddaughter. No, it's a great granddaughter of Rav Teichel. Author of Chut, Mishasach, and the grandson of her, and the eldest grandson of the present Belzer Rebbe. Okay, let's just... uh, The Belzer Rebbe related the following story. You with me now? So you got Belzer Hasidim marrying with a a Taichtal, great-grandchildren, this is like more now, but how he related that Belzer Rebbe related back in time, 5703, 1943. Okay, this is what he says. Rav came to his uncle and father, the previous Belzer Rebbe, okay, and another Rebbe, in Budapest, to ask for Haskama for his book, Emel Svecha. Amen. Get it straight. Rav Taichtal went to the Belzer Rebbe and asked for an approbation hmm. for his safer, Emel Svecha, in 1943. Hmm. Okay. So, so Rav Mordechai of Bulgaria, 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 right, was his uncle. He said like this. He says, in Gemara Zemachlokes, when you say Hallel on Pesach Seder, how far do you go? You don't say the whole halal, you stop something. This is like a tongue-in-cheek rabbinic <laughs> joke, okay? Yeah, I have to explain to you like how he, tongue-in-cheek. How far, so it says, a dispute in the Mishnah. How far does one recite halal during the Pesach Seder prior to the meal? Prior to the meal. Beishamai says, until the verse, Eim habanim smecha. Eim habanim smecha. Hallelujah. Right? As a journal. While Beishil says, until the flint into a fountain of waters, which is before. We currently follow the halachic rulings of Beis Hillel. So not to lay mabanim smecha. In the future, the halacha will follow Beis Shammai, aim habanim smecha. Okay. Okay, so he basically is saying, I'm not giving a, I'm not giving an approbation. The pressure's too hard. What, what, we're not done. But apparently, that's the story that they told over now at the engagement many, many years later. Now the son pipes in. But apparently they were unaware that when the Belzarebi, Rav Aaron, made Aliyah, he came to Rav Nasan, Rav Sholem Natan Ranan Cook, Marana Rav's Cook's son-in-law. He went, when Belzarebi came here, so he came to Rav Cook's son-in-law and said, you and I had differences regarding the way to bring Jews on Aliyah. We, much greater world, said that they should first be strengthened in Judaism outside of the land, and only then could they make Aliyah in order to build in holiness. You said that every one of them should quickly come to Aliyah without calculation. After the Holocaust, it's become clear to us that we erred, mm-hmm. and we are greatly distressed over this fact. So this was who? The Belzer Rebbe said that when he made Aliyah. But that was a little too late. It was after the war, too many Jews died. So again, what do you see? That this before there was a great, here's the problem. The secularists grabbed the lion's share of Zionism, for better or for worse. And the Christians have got to stay away from them. It's going to be terrible things. And they were terrible people on certain levels in terms of Yiddishkeit was concerned. So they are safer off here. Made a mistake. Made a mistake. Okay, let us continue with. Let's see what I want to do next. So this fellow, this Daniel Reiser, a big scholar, he 
wrote a whole thing on this book. So let me just give you his conclusion. Okay, this is after a whole book. All right, you're on page 176. Let's give you a conclusion over here. We quoted him before last week. He said, this article I've presented accepted research, accepted research parameters as indicators of the teaching of religious Zionist thinkers and have distinguished between them and the policies of a good Yisrael with regard to the question of Eretz Yisrael. On the basis of these parameters, I examined Rav Teichel's doctrine, which is the name of the name, and found it proximate to the teachings of Rav Avram Yitzhak Cook. It was not my goal to fit Rav Teichel into any artificial slot, label him, or induct him into any particular movement or political party. Instead, my intention was to assess his teachings and their uniqueness. These include his perspective on the redemption, activism, preference of objective outcome over subjective intention, cooperation with non-religious Zionists, the value of labor, the religious value of the Zionist pioneers, the three-way nexus of the people of Israel, Eretz Yisrael, and the God of Israel, the spiritual quality of Eretz Yisrael, intercommunal unity, and openness to science. All these flowed from a vision of a sovereign Jewish entity that would arise in Eretz Yisrael, and restore the Jewish people to a normalization that entails the economic and material development of the country. Any attempt to compare Rav Teichtel with a goodest Yisrael affiliated rabbis, such as Rav Avram Mordechai Alter of Gur, the Ger Rebbe, or to claim that he resembles Rav Yosef Selman Chaimfeld and the Yishuvniks, Ultra Haredis, in his affection for Zionism, obscures his unique teachings. In other words, let's not try to fit him in a box. The challenge that the second generations of researchers handed its predecessors was more than unhelpful. It masked the singularity of Teichel's teachings, their redemptionist focus, and their kinship with those of Rav Cook. At issue is something more than mere love of Zion. It's a ramified document of redemption that does not fear to be radical and to wrestle with a new and convoluted reality. Friedlander's assertion that Rav Teichel dealt sparingly with the ideological aspects of Zionists and religious Zionists is fundamentally groundless. Emil Smecha deals with these aspects from beginning to end. Friedlander depicts Rav Teichel as a pragmatist who favored what the Zionists did, but not what they thought. Quote, as a pragmatist, Rav Teichel sided with the immediate necessity of rescue, the applied solution that Zionism offers. He's trying to say, well, we could survive with them, so let's be pragmatists was amenable to him and he supported it. As for the ideology of Zionist religious Zionism, he refrained from taking a stand. That's what people are saying. On the contrary, if Tachtel dealt with and took a stand on a range of Zionist and religious Zionist ideas, only some of them were discussed in this article. Rav Nussan C. Friedman related and quoted from a heretofore unknown sermon that he had heard Rav Tachtel deliver while in Budapest. Its content clearly rules out any depiction of Rav Teichtal as a pragmatic thinker who sees Eretzal as a place of refuge and rescue. You hear what's going on? A lot of people were saying Rav Teichtal really sided with the secular Zionists. Why? Because it was a pragmatic decision. They will save our lives, so we have to hang on to them. And that's why they would criticize him. What do you mean? Just because of pragmatics, you become a secular Zionist? That's what they were distorting his views. He said, that's not true at all. And now he's going to quote a drush that Rav Teichtel, uh, or somebody who heard him. Okay, this guy, Friedman, he relates. I recall how he thundered about the Talmudic dictum. One does not behave frivolously in a synagogue. 
and one does not enter it in hot weather to escape from the heat and in rainy weather to escape from the rain. In other words, you have to treat a shul with kedusha. If so, one should not use holiness to protect oneself. Therefore, one should not ascend to Eretz Yisrael to protect oneself from the torrential rain of the Gentiles' decrees. We should preempt the evil and ascend to Eretz Yisrael before the heat of the oppressor comes. So what is Rav Taichtel saying? Don't go to Eretz Yisrael because they think they're going to kill you here. Go to Eretz Yisrael because that's where you belong. That's part of the tshuva process. So it's not like, oh, come to Eretz Yisrael, the secular Zionists will save your life, so we've got to save our lives, and whatever we do, it's because... That's not what he's saying. He's saying, don't come to Eretz Yisrael because you're afraid you're going to die here. That's not a reason to come. You come to Eretz Yisrael because you want to build up Eretz Yisrael, make it a from place, and do mitzvahs in Eretz Yisrael. That's the positive way, not as an ir hamiklot, not as a city of refuge. They're going to kill us here, and therefore we're going to go. That's not what he's saying. But you have to remember, you have to get, it, it could be misread, because he wrote it in the Holocaust. He right. wrote it in the worst times. So he, Rav Taitl, saying, this was what I feel Hashem saying, we did the wrong thing for years. We should have been going to Eretz Yisrael. Right? Now, I'm not saying going to Eretz Yisrael now as a refuge. Mm-hmm. But as Kapara, you see that Hashem was not happy with us staying in Chutzaretz. We don't belong there. So we have to go to Eretz Yisrael to build the land up according to the Torah's views. Okay, we weren't here last week, were you? Okay, so we discussed the idea of the three, uh, three oaths and this and that. It's a whole, the whole thing. You have to listen to last week. But this is, remember, Rav Taichtal is a first-class Talmud Chacham. He knows every Gemara that could hint to not going near its Yisrael, and he understands what it really means. Okay, so that's that's clear. Okay, and to go to Eretz Yisrael against the non-Jewish people's wishes. Mm-hmm. Remember, they looked at the Balfour Declaration, it's no longer against the world. Remember, Britain in 19, uh, whatever, 17, was a power. Yeah. was a real power to be reckoned with so at that big. time equal, if not bigger in the perceived view, than the United States. Sure, yeah. So yeah, who nice. is the supreme power in 1917? It's Britain. Britain. British Empire. And the British Empire, it's the Empire. And it's saying the queen, the, queen, the queen finds it favorable to make a state for the Jews. Yeah. So if even if there was a Gomorrah says you don't go on mass, that's against the will of the non-Jews. Now you have a Balfour Declaration. This is the will of the non-Jews. You could go. All right. Yeah. That's okay. There's a whole big discussion. The Satmarov disagrees with all this, but the main point. Let's just figure it out. No doubt, the Rav Taichel considered Israel as an anchor and rescue for the Jewish people, yeah. but the need for Aliyah for him was broader than merely a shelter. Kerner of Taichel troubles do not furnish a reason for Aliyah, but non-Aliyah furnishes a reason for troubles. <laughs> Whoa, what a line. You hear that? That's a line. The troubles in his eyes are evidence that the Jews were wrong in not having preempted them by means of Aliyah. The Holocaust for him was an incentive to examine his views and develop a teaching that approves of the Aliyah project and the attempt to establish a Jewish entity, a nation Israel, to be able to manage national life independently and strive for national normalization. 
Rabbi Friedman's letter sheds new light on and adds information about an event that is briefly described in Eim Habanim Semecha. He writes, on the past Shabbos HaGadol Pesach, I was given the honor of delivering a sermon at the synagogue of the Orthodox Talmud Society here, and there was a large crowd. Again, it's 1943-44 in Hungary. Half the Jewish world is being destroyed. Hungary is still safe. He was a big Talmud Chacham, and people wanted him to speak. He was displaced. I inserted into the sermon the matter of building our land. This is Rav Teichtal. And I spoke about it with great passion, and many were angry with me. That's what he just hints to in the name of Mesmecha. Exactly what happened there, Rabbi Friedman, who taught at the Budapest Talmud Society at the time, describes it. At the beginning of the Holocaust, as a German oppressor tightened his grip on Slovakia, many migrated from there to Budapest, capital of Hungary, among them the brilliant Rav Teichtel. Due to his reputation as a giant and an outstanding speaker, he was given the privilege of delivering a sermon at the synagogue of the Orthodox Talmud Society, then the center of orthodoxy in Budapest, where at the time it was my privilege as a young man to be one of the teachers. I remember that at noon that Shabbos, the salt of the local Jewish community gathered and filled the synagogue to overflowing. Rav Teichel climbed the stairs to the pulpit and began to thunder audaciously, but we are guilty. And he spoke for about an hour and a half about the sanctity of the land of Israel, its cultivation, and the error that we had made by standing aside and failing to heed the voice that urged us to ascend to our holy land, for which reason this trouble has befallen us. His words spoken in a voice fit to hew flames made a tremendous impression on the listeners who stood transfixed and drank them in thirstily. The leaders in the, con in the congregation, in contrast, were flabbergasted by the powerful impact of his rhetoric. They were followers of the German Aguda, but the speaker's words exceeded the Aguda's stance by far and were stated in full psychological identification with everything being done in Eretz Yisrael at all levels including the non-religious pioneers who pledged their lives to the sanctity of conquering the land. His sermons were like the loud voice that added no more. It's hinting to Harsinai, the voice that didn't stop. What does it mean to added no more? He's doing a pun here. Because he spoke no more there. They denied him the floor, and there he remained shunned and distanced from the official leadership. To create opposite public opinion, the official board of the congregation went out of its way to honor in that main shul a group of young people associated with the Goodness Yisrael. A young, talented rabbi, an excellent speaker, a son-in-law of that belligerent, fanatic Hachizik Rebbe who opposed Eretz Yisrael <laughs> and gave him the honor of delivering a counter-sermon. The speaker based himself on the Gemara and Brachas. The goal of wisdom is tshuva and good deeds, so man should not study Torah Mishnah and then despise his father and mother and teacher and his superior in wisdom and rank. Since Rav Teichel's words clashed with the view of his mentor, the Munkatcher Rebbe. And that was the end. Okay, Rav Friedman was acquainted not only with Rav Teichel's writings but also with the man himself and had no doubts about the matter at hand. Rav Taito's sermon, his opinion, superseded the views of the heads of the congregation 
were considered moderate. They favored a good Israel, were not followers of the Munkacher Rebbe, who opposed a good Israel and disseminated mordant anti Zionist teachings. All right. The, the Munkacher was mamish against Zionism. Aguda was, but not so stridently. <coughs> Nevertheless, these leaders shunned Rav Taichto, deprived him of the pulpit in mid-sermon, and sent up another preacher from the young generation of Israel in order to counter his remarks. Even Rav Taichto's sons, Rav Friedman noted, neither followed nor identified with his spiritual path. Several times I asked the sons or son to reprint this important name of an Smecha book, but they evidently rest at the extreme pole, disclaiming the ways of their great father refused to do it, but eventually they did do it, which we saw before. This observation explains the criticism expressed by Rav Teichel's son, Rav Chaim Menachem Teichel, and his apologetic, apologetic attempt, which was later supported by several scholars, to disassociate his father from religious Zionist thinking and portray him in different light. Rav Cook's disciples correctly detected the proximity of Teichel's teaching to those of their mentor and swiftly embraced this book, prompted not by an interest in appropriating him, but by profound and justified understanding of his teachings. So it's a very complicated thing over here. And basically, where are we going to put this fellow? This tzaddik, not fellow. So the answer is, my I really feel, there's no machloikis here. I feel it's a lot of people spewing forth a lot of politics. Yeah, mm. exactly what and if you read what Rav Cook wrote, if you read what we went through Rav Cook's light of wars, Rav Cook knew exactly who he was dealing with, and he understood that Eretz Yisrael, it's time. It's time for Eretz Yisrael. So if there's secular Zionists, there's secular Zionists. Now, people, just because secular Zionists had outsmarted Rav Cook, in other words, they lied to Rav Cook. For example, when they built up, uh, what do you call it, the Bar-Ilan, Bar Hebrew University, they promised Rav Cook there'd be no Bible criticisms. They promised him so Rav Cook would speak at the groundbreaking. But after he spoke and they opened up, they had Bible criticism. <laughs> so the point is, Rav Cook was such a tzaddik, he couldn't believe Jews could be so wicked. That was his fault. You want to give Rav Cook a fault? Like Yitzchak Avinu couldn't believe Esau was so wicked. That, that, he, he, he said, he knows, he knows they're secular, you know, but you got to love them. You got to show this, you know. But they were thoroughly wicked. Thoroughly wicked. So, of course, so Agudas Yisrael, which dealt a lot with the reform movement, that's why Gudas Yisrael came together. They saw how terrible reformed Jews were in terms of their Yiddishkeit. They say you can't be with these people. So obviously, so then again, Rav Cook became the Chazer Fiesel for them, even though Rav Cook wouldn't feel it was a Chazer Fiesel. And Rav Teichtal is basically saying the same thing as Rav Cook. Now the truth of the matter is, much of a goodest Yisrael has changed their position since the war, as we see from the Belzerevi, and they understand that now Yisrael is important. Now maybe not as important to make Aliyah, and that's where you may have some difference over here. A good Yisrael will basically say, yeah, it's nice to go to Yisrael, it's a big thing, but Torah in America is also very big. Rav Cook and Rav Teichtal would say, no, you have to go to Yisrael. That's why I basically would say, it's, it's time already, it's time. History is being made. 
And as much as it's wonderful to learn Torah in America and have big institutions like Lakewood and all which are amazing, but you know what? It's time to go to Eretz Yisrael. That's all. Because, not because they'll kill us if we're here, but because we have to be there. And if we stay here, they feel Hashem's going to punish us. That's what happens when you're supposed to go and you don't go. So why wait for it to happen? While a good Yisrael, you'd have to speak to them why they feel, no, let's still keep everything. It's Honestly, it's hard for me, especially after what we're seeing now is going on. Like, what else is there to wait for in terms of what's going on? Like, waiting for stormtroopers to come into your homes? I mean, it's it's coming now. It, now they're going to say, well, well, Davin, the decree will go away. Things will be better. Maybe. These are great people, and I'm not going to be the one to paskin uh, between them. I can only paskin for myself, so to speak. But you have to realize that, uh, again, Rav Taichel was a huge Talmud Chacham. And the greatness of a Talmud Chacham is to say we were wrong. And it, people don't popularize that so much. Rav Kook didn't have to say he was wrong. Rav Kook came in the early turn of the century and came to Eretz Yisrael by choice and volition. Okay, and he said, and he knew who he's dealing with, and he was, but he said, this is the way we're going to bring them along, right? And, you know, he has to deal with all the, the headaches and the challenges, etc., etc. Fine. So, on the other hand, you have other Gedolim who said, listen, we, we, you know, we have this Holocaust, we have to fix up America. Okay, whatever, it's all part of Hashem's plan, but there is the final end game that has to be played out. So let me just close. There's a lot more, but I don't want to keep you forever. Just I'm always good to end a discussion with Ribeiro Wine, who is a great historian. He he wrote a, a review on when the first English translations of this came out, which was 23 years ago, which is already an old piece. So he talks a lot about the history of the book. Now let's just, this part is, this is the part that... Uh, uh, wine gives his expertise. Remember, he was a much younger man then, okay? Right, Taichtal's change of heart and attitude did not receive universal approval. He was driven from certain Hungarian synagogues and not allowed to conduct his regulatory classes and sermons and other study halls due to his now quote-unquote heretical views. This opposition then personally only caused him to write and disseminate his book and ideas with even greater impetus. Tatel was especially incensed by the statements of certain rabbis in Hungary that Hungarian Jewry would be spared the fate of the German, Polish, and Lithuanian Jewry because of God's presumed approval of its fiercely anti-Zionistic Enlightenment stance. They claimed that their Munkach attitude stood in sharp and correct contrast to the prevalent popular Jewish attitudes in those other lands, where even the Orthodox leadership was corrupted in advocating Zionist ideas. In other words, immigration to the land of Israel and the active rebuilding of the country by Jewish efforts, sweat, and resources. Of course, history tragically proved Teichtal correct. Since in 1944, Hungarian Jewry met the same fate that earlier decimated its Eastern European... They got it worse. They got it worse than everybody. No, they got it just as bad as everyone. Now listen to this. Teichdahl's book was intended 
for an audience composed mainly of the rigorously orthodox members of the Jewish community. The book has never reached that audience. That he wrote that in 2000. Most of the present students of the yeshivot and members of the Hasidic communities are unaware of its existence, let alone of its contents and challenges. If the aftermath of the Holocaust and the rise of the state of Israel begin, many of the attitudes in the Orthodox world that Teichel so criticized and blamed as being contributed to the Holocaust, insularity, open opposition to rebuilding the land of Israel through Zionism, and now the state of Israel and its official bodies sanction and institutionalized intolerance and even hatred of other Jews, a sense of fatalism and inaction in the face of changing social circumstances, a glorification of the easy life of exile in lands outside the land of Israel, a mistaken dogma that preaches a passive dependence solely upon divine aid that paralyzes any Jewish national initiatives have in fact hardened. Do you hear what it's a long sentence? You hear what he's saying? Whatever they thought before the Holocaust, the Kharib, they think even stronger now. Yeah, but what about you got wiped out? Well, you know, forget about that. No, well, listen, listen, there is what to be said. God, God blessed growth in Israel, but he also blessed growth in North America. Anyway, a new generation has arisen that knows not the circumstances of the Holocaust or the founding of the state of Israel, and thus is unable to draw any historic lessons from these cataclysmic events is to this new generation of committed Orthodox Jews, the name of Anin Smecha should speak and argue its case. In Israel, the book has become a second Bible for the Gush Emunim, Merkaz Harav camp. Gush, I mean, the ones set, the settlers in the Galil, you know, in that area. The uh, West Bank. The authoritative Torah arguments marshaled by Rabbi Teichel served as a needed support of the correctness of the ideology of settlement of the land of Israel everywhere, and against all odds, practical and diplomatic considerations and objectives. Because of the fervor of Gush Emunim in adopting Rav Teichtal, together with Rav Tzvi Yehuda Kuk, which is Rav Kuk's son, as their spiritual father, the other camps of orthodoxy, most notably the non-Zionist Yeshiva Hasidic world, have almost automatically ignored or rejected Rav Teichtal in his book. The irony is that Rav Tachtal intended the book and its message precisely for the non-Zionist Orthodox world and not necessarily for the committed religious Zionist Gushamunim section of the Orthodox world. <laughs> Nevertheless, in spite of this limited political appeal, the book has been republished in its original Hebrew format many times in Israel and tens of thousands of copies have been sold and distributed in Israel worldwide. Wow. It's preaching to the believers. Okay, so now you understand what's going on over here. Now, he concludes. Oh, he has so much more. I will just leave this. The attitude of diaspora jury, especially Orthodox jury, towards the role of Israel could stand improvement in the current times of crisis and challenge in Israel. Hmm. Now, this is 2000, by Rav Wine. <laughs> we here in Israel, he already made Aliyah then Rav Wine. In Israel, do not hear the call for the love of the land of Israel and our unquestioned right to the Holy Land in a strong voice emanating from our diaspora brethren. I think the Rav Teichtal would be heartbroken to see that even after the Holocaust and the events in the land of Israel the last 55 years, much of the same attitudes of glorification of the exile 
and the negation of building the Jewish home in the land of Israel that he so decried still remained dominant in much of the Orthodox Jewish world. That's how Rav Wein ends the story. Now, any questions and comments? We're well, free to open up the table. What? You're talking about Jews not loving Jews, and, you'll, and it's been in practice for 75 years, and here is your backup material. And it seems like there was, I don't know if there was more infighting back then than there is now. It seems like this, you know, it seems like this was stronger than it is now. I don't know. I can't. I, just I'm just hearing it out right now. And okay, the fact is there's a lot of fighting over the soul of Eretz Yisrael now. You have, you have Haredim Lev Eretz Yisrael who do not accept the secularization of the yeah. state and breaking of the status quo. And you have to not, you have to be as, let's say this way, you have to be as tough as your enemy is. Yeah. And we've mentioned in many classes that, again, don't distort what I'm saying, the totally secular Zionists, the ones who don't believe God, do not believe in Torah, don't bat, a la don't bat an eyelash at Jewish blood being spilled for their political advancements. So you have to know that the real hard Israelis knows that. And therefore they will not stand aside when they see what's going on. So that becomes a very strong clash. When you see that the government is destroying Torah mitzvahs, you can't sit by and let that happen. So it's almost at a point there's no way of reconciling this. Jews are going to fight. You know, because they're not, they don't hate the other Jews. What they're doing, they don't like. So now other organizations are trying to bring them together, study Torah together, try to have some ways of them meeting each other and talking and discussing. So there's a group who's trying to make that happen. Yes, dear. What I'm saying is mirrored in your... What do you mean? What, what are you saying? You can't just bring this story without showing the other side. <coughs> what was going on in Europe was these secular Zionists and the Bundists and the this yes, and that yes. were making Jews leave their oh, Judaism. Yes, that's well, true. No, but he saw that. No, Rav Teichtal Rav Teichtal saw that. He knew all that. No, he's, he's saying we got punished. Just because. Imagine if we would have had Israel then, really, which I don't even know if it's 100% true. Like, I don't know if we had Israel then that After the Jews in the Holocaust could have been saved. I don't know. Like, it's very nice to think this way, but I do not well, know. Well, the Jews could have left Europe, could have all left Europe and know. gone to Israel. But you're very frightened to leave Europe. Imagine if you're a very Orthodox person in Europe. And now I'm going to tell you, if you look in Judaism, no, you would not save your skin on this on the premise that you will be spiritually assimilated and lost. Okay, yes, but, but that being said, that being said, the Vilna Gold students did go to Eretz Yisrael. To be only with the Vilna Gold okay. students, you find No, no, but no one's telling to join them. You could have gone through Shalayim and be with Rabbi Yosef Chaim Sonnenfeld and be with uh, Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Shmuel of Salant and be with the Haredim. He had no problem being so with the Haredim. Was he saying that? Because I 
He said we should have gone to Eretz Yisrael. No, did he say you should have gone to Eretz Yisrael yes. with only the Orthodox? Or am I getting, I'm getting, I'm trying no, to... No, he's saying if Orthodox would have gone, they'd have a voice. So then he's not saying we should have gone. With yes, he is. He's saying we should have gone before... On our own, in our own camp. Orthodox yes, people. to go that's to Eretz Yisrael. No, but no, that's nobody very said to go. Then we should be going to Israel with secular Bundes. They were never. Rav Taichtal was never suggesting that. that. That's what we're. That's where we're having the machlokas here. A good Yisrael thought we should go together. That's what yes. I emphasized many times. He said their averus are not excusable. He said that clear. Their averus are not excusable. So are you saying, I'm trying to understand it. The Abuddha was saying that we should go, as, in other words, you're Abuddha saying, was saying, don't have nothing to do with it, don't go to Eretz Yisrael. Yeah. Stay away. And ta- and ta- Stay away. A title was saying, go to Eretz Yisrael. You don't have to be friends with the secular Zionists. Go to Eretz Yisrael and do what you, there was no government then. Go as a from Jew, build up from Yeshuvim, and there were some who did that. There was no government yet. There was absolutely no government. Holus bolus. But you don't have to be friends with them. No, Just go. That's it. Go there and learn Torah there. Go build a religious yeshuv. There were there were Orthodox Jews who built Orthodox yeshuvim. Not very many. If you had more, who was people just went to the piece of land. You just did what you did. So there should have been much more. Or if you would have had. Tens of thousands of Jews making Aliyah in the early 1900s, mm-hmm. right? It would have been a different reality. That's all. He's not saying work together. You, you got to have to work together in some ways, but have nothing to do with their ideology. And have, but, but the way to go in those days. You didn't have to be a Bundist to go. Sorry. You don't have to be a Bundus. You just take a boat and go. I think I think the problem I think I the problem think is is that it's it's the same mistake that they, they made when they put them into categories, Zionism, Communism, Bundus, or whatever. The problem is it's the same argument they used during the January sixth. You could have been walking in the street and minding your business, doing going to the store shopping, they're arresting you because you looked like you were part of the crowd, therefore you must be supporting things. What are you talking about? I was doing for my own thing. I think this is what the reaction was. He was too radical. They saw that you're frightening all our people. They're going to leave in droves, and they're going to leave us weak here, and it's going to look like they just joined the secular Zionists. I can understand their rationale, and that we, this guy is a Rodef, and he has to be isolated. As he, put, he may have been 100% right. But you, but you see, and re- it's, in, it's easy for us to make to see it in hindsight. Right. Yeah, it's in not hindsight, hungarian, hungarian Jews got murdered as bad yeah, as anybody no, else. If the Hungarian, Hungarian Jews would have gone to Eretz Yisrael with religious yeah. Jews, they would still have family today. That's all. Yeah, no. But there must have been, I don't think it's as simple as... Okay, you don't think it's as simple? Fine. No, I'm saying. Okay, so now, so now let's look at it today. Okay, everyone has to make their own decisions. Speak to your local rabbi. You have to make a decision today. Eretz Yisrael is in, is it we'll call a tipping point. It's really at a tipping point. Right now, it's at a tipping point. And I'm sorry to say, it's a numbers game. It's a numbers game. So what, you know, again, I'm not talking about anyone's particular situation. 
I'm talking about the global picture. How you win this war? You win this war by numbers. If there's more religious people there to Israel, they vote religious. That's all there is to it. And you're also strengthening the religious. Now, on top of that, we're, we're a little bit more open-minded and we could try to make friends. Friends with secular people. We don't Nowadays, you don't have to be swallowed up by the secular Jewish mechanism that may have been in the early 1900s a greater threat. Today, an Orthodox Jew moves to Eretz Yisrael, he can have a fully productive life and have nothing to do with secularist uh, Israel at all. And there's way so many religious places to live. Okay? Now, the question is, do we not see, uh, uh, pardon the pun, Paul, I don't know if you mm. hopped that one. Yes. <laughs> do we not see yes, yes. That, uh, that America is crumbling? Yes. Europe is crumbling. Yeah. That, it, it looks to most people that's what's happening, right? They're, they're virulently anti-Semitic to Jews. Nothing's happening about it. So what are, what are you waiting for? Is, is Hashem punishing us again or not? Again, you don't decide to go to Israel just to not get killed. That's clear. You go because you feel this is my destiny now. Eretz Yisrael needs me and I need Eretz Yisrael. And then if you go, you may not end up being punished like those who stay. But Eretz Yisrael needs Hashem's miracles too because... Yeah. The way you look at it now. Good, it but guess it what? Look like Remember, the Gemara says, the Torah says, Hashem's eyes are in Eretz Yisrael every minute, not in Toronto. I'm just saying, you if know. you just look at the, the geopolitical situation yeah. without considering Hashem, Israel doesn't look like such a non-crumbling place either. Again, the difference is Hashem is there. He's not in Chosar. He's not in Chosar. We all talked about the time zones. That's why we have so many different times of the world. So, is being studied everywhere. Okay. Yeah, but guess what? When, 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 back in the times of first base of Middash, when Western Hemisphere didn't exist, we, we didn't need the time zones. We have electricity. You don't need the time zones. So, again, that's what I'm saying. You, 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 you read it, you have a very unique perspective. He was in the middle of it all crumbling, and he got to see it in hindsight. And then he was saying to go. Now it's so much easier to go. But Rabbi, isn't there, even if somebody is secular, doesn't it have a bit of a pintle in them? Yes. Want to be yes. In Israel? That's what they Because did. even if you, know, you have the Haredi who are already in the game, service, but you also say, okay, I'm escaping the U.S., I'm escaping Canada, I'm escaping Europe, well, whatever the case may be, but I'm a Jew. And I'm going to Israel, even though I don't put the fill on, even though I don't practice. Okay, so, so what, what's your question? Really there. How many I'm not sure what point you're trying to make here. Even though somebody may not be a practicing Jew, they're still a Jew with a pintalid that may go to Israel. If they're escaping, if they're just trying to escape persecution, Israel is not the only destination. They could go somewhere else. There's nowhere else to go. Would you like to tell me where you can go and escape prosecution? I don't know. No, there's no place to go. But here's the point. I'm not giving a class to those kinds of Jews. I'm giving a class to Orthodox Jews. And I'm saying I'm saying what would be a worthy thing is for you to read the book. So Rabbi, you're saying we read a lot of books, right? So read the book. 
That's all I'm saying to understand because this is this is a big issue. It's a big. Uh, believe me, I have me and my wife have just the same um, challenges and mixed feelings. We have family here. We understand everybody's got family here and this and that. But now you got to really. This is like a serious issue, and you know the clock is ticking. So you think the writing is on the wall that it's loud and clear. Like we've went through two thousand. We've seen everything. So. It's, it's like there's a change. It's the same thing. Can't you wear a kippa on a subway going down now in Toronto? You're, you're, you're the answer. I is, do. Yeah. But, but the rabbi's not saying that we should go because the writing's on the wall. But, that's yeah, but right. He's yes, saying that Eretz Yisrael is our, is our center. It's where Hashem wants us ultimately to be. And yes, the times make us think about it a little bit more, but that's not the reason we right. go. But a person... I'll, that's correct. That's what I said. But you got to have a good reason to not go there. Right. In other words, it's not that, well, it's a nice idea in theory. No, no. It's time to go. The default position is go. Now, just like anything else, but if there's another more important reason for your unique situation, then maybe you don't go. But it's not, the default position should not be we stay in Chutzlaretz. And if we can find a good reason to go, we should go. That cannot be our position anymore. The position is we belong in Eretz Yisrael. We want Mashiach to come. And it needs Jews in Eretz Yisrael. Right? The mitzvahs you do in Eretz Yisrael of a higher quality. Right? What are we benefiting by staying in Chutz Laaretz? So that there may be reasons why you have to stay. You have elderly parents who will die if you don't take care of them. Okay, then you have to stay. That overrides it. What if the children don't want to go? But I'm just saying, this is food for thought. It should be really on your radar. But one last thing. At least, at least, if you're staying, Esha has to really be sharp, front and center your focus. Like I said, you're going to go home in a few minutes. The first place you go to is Eretz Sheva and not to Netflix. Okay, I'm just... You know, at least that it is now front and center in your mind, and you you really want to support it and help it and be part of the messianic process. Yes, you might as well just stand in front, Gail. You could cope. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. You could be heard better. We're still all being recorded. Right. So concept of Eretz has to be Aliyah. Good. True, true. Okay, so okay. So now the question is you have to know. So if you're getting older already, why can't let's take an example. Just throwing out an example. I know he's listening. Uh Shlomo Friedlander, our good friend, right? He retired, went there to For him it was definitely an Aliyah. Definitely an Aliyah. But why what would be a reason to stay in, in Toronto? No reason. He's learning more Torah now, many more places to learn Torah. Toronto's not a bad place, but it's not a place of Malcolm Torah like Garrett's Yisrael is. And he at least votes for uh, the right party. And he's doing mitzvahs in Eretz Yisrael. So you're right. But every so, so, okay, so let's look at, you know, seniors who are, they have to go to warm climates for vacation. So why are you going to Florida? You should go to Netanya. 
Okay, I'm just saying. Okay, so go there. Like, Israel needs young people, not yeah. old people. No, they, they need everybody. Drag, drag they need everybody. Okay, okay. All right. Anyway, that, that's enough for that. I think. I think. I, the, the sun. The much shabbos are getting uh, later. So I think we're gonna close it here, right? And we'll uh, we'll think of the next thing we're gonna be learning. Okay, Shkoyev for listening, but I really recommend that you get the book and read it. Just read it and get it. It's, it's worthwhile. I need to have to leave with 15 minutes. Okay.